Now, a pastor read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 13, but I'm going to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we continue to study the Word of God. Uh, there is so much that the Bible has to say about living in peace, and we need to find the source of that peace and understand the uh, purchase price for that peace, uh, and then to live in a way that uh, brings peace to a world that is uh, deeply in trouble. In fact, the world that you and I live in, peace is hard to be found. Uh, as we look around us, uh, uh, there is not much peace. There is terrorism, there's wars, there's conflicts. You have all of the political toxicity that's going on in our world. There is just an awful lot of unrest. Not only happens out in the world, it happens in families. And uh, we long for peace. We long for that, that wonderful reality that is, is so easily said, but to create uh, 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 an environment of peace is very difficult. Uh, we take a look at all the violence today that is taking place in America, the crime in our streets, the attacks upon police, and then the attacks on innocence. It's amazing what's going on. Oftentimes in these mass shootings, uh, little children are killed, little bystanders are killed, they're mowed down. It's, we, we live in a world that is, that is filled with violence, and, and peace is not to be found. In fact, not too long ago, we read about this horrific shooting that took place down in the Fort Lauderdale airport, an airport that Sandy and I flew in and out of many times when we lived in South Florida. People were just picking up their baggage, and five people were mowed down, seven people injured. We live in a world where it is just full of conflict and chaos, to say nothing of what's going on in our homes, in our families. Uh, <clears throat> a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to do a ride uh, with a police officer <clears throat> during the evening hours. And I was just amazed as we <laughs> call after call after call, it was all domestic violence. I mean, it, it, there's a side of our culture that none of us understand, and it's, it, it, it's, it's just there. And uh, it's symptomatic of the fact that we long for peace, but peace is not to be found. And instead of evolving and becoming a better people and a better, better nation, we seem to be devolving to the fact, to the place where there is no more value for human life and we don't have any kind of a moral compass anymore to guide our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors. In 2023, peace is not to be found. Now, when you begin to take a look at this from the perspective of Scripture, we discover that peace is a Hebrew word uh, and it's really translated shalom which means wholeness or completeness or harmony or fulfillment. A peace from God's point of view is much more than just the cessation of hostility between individuals. It is enjoying an unimpaired relationship with the living God. And this brings us to the focus of our 
talk here this morning, and that is we are called by the apostle in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to live in peace. The tense there is a present imperative, continue on living in peace. That is God's call. We are to live counter to the culture in which we find ourselves. We are living in a culture where peace is absent. As God's people, as Christ followers, we need to bring the presence of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our spheres of environment. Paul affirms in Romans 14, 19, make every effort to do what makes for peace and mutual edification. You see, the scripture tells us that peace is not something that is accidental, it is intentional. It requires focused attention. It is something you can never assume, but we must always actively go after it as the people of God. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about peace. First of all, I want you to follow along with me and discover the person of peace, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, notice the text. Please keep your Bibles open. For he himself is our peace. I would underscore that in chartreuse. Peace is not found through legislation. It's not found through delegation. It's not found through any other means. It is found through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, peace is that crown jewel that escapes so many. If you ask the average person out in the street today, what do you long for? Almost without exception, they will say world peace. They have no concept of what that means. Peace is not found because we want it or because we like it. Peace is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament word for peace, as I've already mentioned, is shalom. It not only refers to the absence of trouble, but also to the wish that everything good would come to that individual. Therefore, in the East, when one says shalom to another person, they're not only uh, expressing the thought that no evil would come into their lives, but that they would experience everything good, that goodness would be something that would be part of their lives. Therefore, it's not just freedom from trouble. That's not just what peace is. It is the enjoyment of all that is good. When you come to the Greek, in the New Testament, the word for peace, as it's used here in 2.14, it's a word that comes from a noun, meaning to join things together. To, the, to, to, to make peace in the Greek mind means that we bring together that which is separated. And that's a beautiful picture of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. The Bible says that all of us are separated from God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And so peace is that which brings mankind separated from God back into a beautiful relationship of harmony with the living God. It's interesting that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we discover that the one who brings peace is none other than the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Isaiah's prophecy concerning the little baby born in Bethlehem? He would be called, what, the prince of? Oh, that was weak. 
The Prince of Peace. Oh, there you go. Okay, he's called the Prince of Peace, the little baby born in a manger. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace into the troubled world in which we live. Only Christ can bring every possible good into our lives, and only Christ can keep us from all the evil that is in the world. The reason why peace has eluded so many today is that they have been looking for peace in all the wrong places. They've tried to secure peace apart from a personal relationship to Christ. There's no way any of us can ever enjoy this uh, wonderful connection with the living God apart from a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And once we make that commitment by faith and we trust God and Him alone to save us from our sins, the Bible says we experience the peace of God or peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, what's the end result? We have peace with God not through human effort, notice what the text says, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the person of peace. He is the one that brings peace to our troubled hearts. And when we understand that peace is not found through negotiation or legislation, but through a personal relationship to Christ, then we can begin to understand what it means to be at peace with God and with each other. And it's this reality that surpasses all human understanding. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which transcends all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is saying that when we experience the peace of God that comes because we know Jesus and have experienced peace with God, there is something awesome about it. It surpasses all of our careful planning and clever ideas on how we can be successful and how we can have peace apart from the prince. And today, many are stressed out because they're trying to get themselves out of problems which they themselves have created through misguided priorities and selfish decisions. But the peace that Jesus longs to give to everyone is not dependent on human effort. It comes only as a gift to those who put their personal trust and confidence in what Jesus has already done for them when he went to the cross and laid down his life for each one of us. And in that same context, Philippians 4, 7, he says that this peace guards our hearts and our mind. And that word guard has the picture of a sentry on duty guarding uh, and, and keeping away any, anyone that would interfere with what is behind the gate. He's the sentry. He guards it. He protects it from anything that would be untoward. And the peace of God makes it possible for us to stand up to temptation when it comes knocking at our door. It enables us to fight off fear and fight off worry. You see, when we're garrisoned and around with the peace of God, it is a, a, a means whereby our heart is protected. And my friends, there is nothing, there's no safer place in all the world to be than to be surrounded and encompassed with the peace of God. 
It comes not through human effort. It comes because we have personally put our faith and our trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us when he laid down his life on the cross to save us from our sins. Apart from Christ, peace is a shot in the dark. But in Christ, peace is something that we can rest in. Peace is something that we can experience right now. It's not something out in the far distant future. It's something that is a present reality because Jesus is living in our hearts. Not only do I want to acquaint you with the person of peace, but I want you to know with me the purchase of peace. It was purchased at great cost. Notice Ephesians chapter 2 and now verse 13. Notice what he says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's what happens because of our sin, it separated us from God. You who were once far away, notice, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This unimpaired relationship that we can have to the living God is because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for our sins. The scripture makes it very clear that there's only one way to peace, and that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, the punishment that brought us peace, notice, was upon him. He took the punishment that we deserved. He took the blame. He took all the sin, past, present, and future. All of that was placed upon him. And he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. For the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so he took our place. He died in our stead. He purchases our peace. We can't purchase peace. That only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no amount of money that you can give. There's no amount of good works that you can do to have peace. Peace has been purchased for us. It's a gift that God gives to us because of what Christ did for us at Calvary. Now notice what he says here in verses 14 and following. Christ's death accomplished several significant things. First of all, notice it has destroyed or broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Notice verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who made the two one, brought two that were separated back together. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Once mankind had to approach God in fear. You could only approach God maybe once or twice a year. There was a heavy divide between God and his people. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was completely shred to pieces. And now we have direct access to God. We don't need to go through some intermediator. Access has been freely given. The barrier between man and God has been destroyed forever. Not only does... Christ's death on the cross destroy this barrier between sinful man and a holy God, but it's the means whereby we can experience a new closeness, a, an intimacy with the living God. Look at verses 15 and following. Notice, 
by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Here it is. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making... Hello. Are you following me in the scriptures? Thus making... Oh, praise Jesus. You are alive out there. He purchases peace. He has made peace, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. That's a powerful statement. That is something that we can build our lives upon. It's very interesting that James expresses it in a little bit different way. He says, if we will draw near to God, in James 4, 8, that God will draw near to us. What is it that draws us near to God? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's that blood that draws us to himself. And when he draws us to himself, there's something else that happens. What happens? When we are drawn close to the living God and experience his peace, we draw away from the world. We draw away from all the toxicity of this world. We draw close to God because of the blood, but we draw away from all this distraction, all this noise that keeps us from really following Jesus with all of our hearts. Far too many of us are too tuned into the noise of the world. We haven't gotten close enough to God. He calls us to be in relationship to him, and it's all because of the blood. It's the blood that wipes the sin away from our lives, and he looks upon us as being totally justified, declared righteous, not by our works, but by what Christ has already done for us. Somebody has said that the problems in America are so great that if we pick the 10 wisest and most competent people in our country, they couldn't lead us out of our problems. But if we repented, if we repented and drew near to God, a child could lead us out of our problems. Peace is purchased at great price. The cross has once and for all given us direct access to God and brought us into this new relationship with our Creator. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and agents, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Notice, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Why is it that our primary purpose here at East Bay Calvary is to lift up Jesus? It's because of what he's done for us. It's because of the blood that was shed on our behalf. It's for the peace and the joy and this unimpaired relationship. We always want to exalt Jesus, Jesus. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And when we begin to live a life that is all about Jesus, 
all these other things that distract us and divert our attention away from Christ no longer have sway, no longer play games with us and distract us and keep us from walking in obedience to the Lord. He gives us his presence and he equips us to be men and women of peace. Do you remember the closing scene from the movie Ben-Hur? Judah Ben-Hur was a man of strife and conflict and discord. And then he met Jesus. And in his own words, he exclaims, Jesus took the sword out of my hand. My friend, only Jesus can take the swords out of our hands and keep us from fighting one another and being at odds with each other. Only Jesus can take that out of our lives. It's possible because he's already paid the price. He's done everything he possibly could do so that we could experience a life of joy and love and peace. Don't have to live in conflict. As the blood of Christ is applied to our hearts by faith, we cease being at war with God. We cease being at war with our brothers and sisters. And we cease being at war with ourselves. And we find that there is a settled peace, a calmness, an assurance that we belong to King Jesus. We no longer take our clue from the world. We take our clue from the one who loved us and who gave himself for us. And that brings us to the third reality, and that is the pursuit of peace and this is where 1 Thessalonians 5.13 comes into play, where he says, live in peace with each other. You see, this is to be a lifelong pursuit. In fact, this is the encouragement that we get from all of the Old Testament writers. Let me just give you a couple examples. Proverbs 12 and verse 20, those who plan for peace have joy. <laughs> Do you want to experience joy? then you need to be pursuing peace. Psalm 37, 37, there is a future for the man of peace. I will tell you, there have been things that have happened in my life where I could have gotten back at somebody. I could have taken people that did me wrong to the wall. And I probably could have come out pretty good, but I didn't do it. I chose to be a man of peace. Because I knew in my heart that God is my vindicator. I don't have to take matters into my own hands. God is the one. He is the one. And he is the one that vindicates us. And he is the one that gives us this wonderful. There is a future for the man of peace. Now, the New Testament, the clearest teaching on this is from the Prince of Peace himself, the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Spiritual prosperity is reserved not for the peace-loving, or the peace-wishing, peace or the peace-thinking, it's reserved for those who are making peace. Why 
is this so significant? The peacemaker is so totally different than anyone else. He stands head and shoulders above the masses that would like peace but don't do anything to pursue it or to bring peace into troubled situations. The peacemaker is a rare jewel in today's world. Peacemakers are few and far between. The word peacemaker literally describes the person who actively seeks to bring men and women into harmony with each other. Now, let's stop and think about that for a minute. We actively, we actively seek to bring men and women into harmony with God and each other. Now, from a purely natural point of view, (laughs) we're not peacemakers. We think about ourselves. We're concerned about us. And we are so consumed with us that we are struggling when it comes to making peace. And yet, peacemaking is godlike. That's why I believe it is so difficult for us because we all are so unlike God. We all fall short of his glory. And that word peacemaking describes a person who cares so much about another person that they will continue to reach out even though the other person may push them away. They make repeated efforts. They never give up. Look at the world today, the tense situations Our world, I don't know, I've never lived (laughs) where there is so much um, toxicity and so much tension that could erupt at any time into some type of an explosive conflict. Look at the conflicts that happen in homes between husbands and wives and parents and kids The conflicts that rage between people because they don't like someone or feel hurt because someone has mistreated them or offended them. Well, what's the answer? Uh, Do we need more peace conferences? Uh, Do we need more uh, stress clinics? Don't don't get me wrong. All, All these things are good. But our basic problem is sin and self, and we will never be able to change until our hearts are broken by God and transformed by the peace and grace of God. Then we will be able to live the kind of a life we only dreamed about. But it will be something that is real because the peace of God is in the driver's seat of our lives. Now, How can Christ followers become peacemakers? Let me break this down a little bit for you. Number one, peacemakers listen to each other. They listen. James 1.19 says, Let every person be quick to listen. Notice, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
Peacemakers think before they speak. They don't let their emotions get the best of them. They surrender all that emotional stuff to God ahead of time before they make any kind of an attempt to bring peace. We need to ask ourselves the question, is my life pleasing to God and am I thinking before I'm speaking? I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 19:14. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a prayer that we need to be praying every single day. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Number two. The peacemakers look to Jesus. Next time you are tempted to give someone a piece of your mind, remember who ends up the real loser. We need all the mind God has given us. We need to be very careful about giving it away. We need to ask ourselves this question, what would Jesus do? When we're confronted by a person who rubs us the wrong way, we have the power to respond according to this new nature we have received from Christ or just let it rip. When we hear a rumor, we must ask ourselves the question, would Jesus repeat that rumor and ruin the lives of innocent people or would he dismiss it? And let it die. When two brothers or sisters in the body of Christ are at odds, would Jesus take sides and polarize the situation? Or would he affect, seek to affect reconciliation between the two? You see, peacemakers respond to every situation in light of the transformation they have experienced when they passed from spiritual death to spiritual life by receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Number three, peacemakers learn to yield their rights to others. Peacemakers are approachable. They don't always insist on their own way all the time. They don't stand on their own dignity. Again, I'm drawn to Jesus. I mean, if there was anyone who had the right to stand on his own dignity and refuse to become a human being and go to the cross and die on our behalf, it was Jesus. But what did he do? He left the glories of heaven, the glory of eternity past. He came to earth. He humbled himself. The Bible says he became obedient even unto death, the death on the cross. If there was anyone who could stand on his own dignity and say, ah, let those people die. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to retain all my glory. Let them suffer. No, no. He surrendered. He left it all. He shed his blood. He experienced separation from the Father 
because he loved us so much. He did not stand on his own dignity. He surrendered it so that he might make peace available to every single one of us. And then lastly, peacemakers lovingly take risks. Luke 7 and verse 13, Jesus explains, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. We don't try to affect peace with those with whom we are at odds until, first of all, there has been some sense of repentance, not only on our part, but on their part. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't sound too forgiving to me. You see, peacemakers, they face up to their own personal shortcomings. They don't try to affect peace with someone else until they themselves are at peace with God and there's nothing between them and the Savior. Peacemakers encourage others who've allowed sin to enter their lives to repent of that sin, to repent of that wrong, but also they have to admit their own wrongdoing. That's risky. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. It's much easier to say, well, I just forgive and we never confront the sin. We don't confront the sin in our lives. We don't confront the sin in another person's life. But that's what I call cheap forgiveness. It doesn't cost anything. It's trying to cover up a major infection with a Band-Aid. Peacemakers make sure that there has been repentance in their own lives as well as in the life of the person they are seeking to be at peace with. Peacemakers have great opportunities. Every single day, there is an opportunity for us to be peacemakers. Sometimes we become tense with each other over very minor things. Little conflicts, they can sometimes get the best of us. But let me tell you, when we surrender that stuff that really is insignificant to Jesus, or insignificant in our lives, we surrender that to Jesus. There is nothing sweeter than the peace of God that just floods our heart and there's no longer this, this barrier. That barrier that was broken down through Calvary, it breaks down the barriers between individuals. But God is looking for peacemakers today. He's looking for those who've experienced peace, who are living in peace, and who by the help of the Spirit of God are seeking to live in peace with each other. Let's stand together. Shall we please for closing prayer? Let's all bow our heads. I don't know where you all are at here this morning, but if you've never asked Jesus into your life, you don't know the peace that you're missing. Right now, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus, you can pray a very simple prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I repent of my sin. I've messed up. 
but I understand that you paid the price in full for my sin. You not only died for me, but you were resurrected. You can give me eternal life. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. It's just a simple prayer. You may have come here this morning with all kinds of conflict and chaos in your life. But uh, this morning you can leave free from all that if you will invite the Prince of Peace to be your Lord and Master. So we're just going to take a few quiet moments. If you need to make that commitment, I want to encourage you to do so. Just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Savior. I want to experience this peace that we've been talking about today. Now, before we close, if there are those of you that you say, Pastor, I want to be a pacemaker. I don't know how to do that, but I'm asking Jesus to help me to be a peacemaker in my sphere of influence, maybe in the school, maybe in the home, maybe in the church. Pastor, that's what I want more than anything else. Please pray for me. If you've made a decision or you've made that kind of a commitment, no looking around. Just lift up your hand. I see a hand. Yes, yes. I see hands all over. Yes, up in the balcony. Yes, I see hands. God's at work. Yes, you may put them down. Anyone else? I just want to pray. Yes, in the back. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. See those hands. Father in heaven, you know what the need is in each one of these individuals' lives. Lord, if they need a personal relationship with you, I pray that right now they'd say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and save me. I want your peace more than anything else. I understand I can't earn it. It's already been purchased for me at the cross. And Lord, I, I'm coming to you. I, I'm accepting you and your peace to be the governor of my life from henceforth. And for those, Lord, that are struggling in relationships and, and want to be peacemakers, Lord, please give them grace and strength and wisdom. Help them to be patient, to trust you. Sometimes we want to affect things quicker than you maybe choose. Sometimes... We, we struggle, Lord, because we, we want it taken care of, but many times it doesn't happen right away. But, Lord, give us patience and perseverance and renewed confidence in you that you're always on time. You're never too early. You're never too late, but you're always on time. So, Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender our lives, our church family. We belong to you. You are the king. We bow before you. Use us this coming week to be people of peace and to be peacemakers for the glory of Jesus. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. 
and Maranatha, lo, he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.